someone tell me to do this. And I thought, well, uh, okay. I, I, I think I did some of this years ago. And um, so it's kind of uh, um, uh, a repetition. But, uh, but uh, it's very possible you haven't heard this. And so um, I'm, uh, I'm going to read to you from Amos chapter 9. And uh, this, this is what it says in Amos chapter 9 and verse 11. It says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. I forget which chapter is. Here's Matthew. He'll find it. I know him. But there is a verse in Genesis that simply says, Esau is Edom. That's what it says. It says that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen, which are called by my name. I always like that. Heathens. But just please remember I'm a Jesus name, heathen. (laughs) Saith the Lord that doeth this. Watch. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. So, I, I, the, the book of Acts is such a fascinating book to me. And, um, um, you know, in Acts 1 and 8, it says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, which, you know, that's a city, and in Judea, which is, that's, that's kind of like the county that was around Judea, and then Samaria, which was, you know, this is half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Assyrian, half, uh, uh, and, and then, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So that's ex- when you study the book of Acts, that's exactly what happened. Because in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost was poured out in Jerusalem. And from Acts 2 until Acts 8, the church is at Jerusalem. And, and I can't blame them. Who, who would want to leave that church? I mean, if you had a chance to go to church with Mary, the mother of Jesus, wouldn't you go? If, if you had a chance to go to church and say, hello, Brother Lazarus, how you doing? I mean, there were just great people in that church. And so it was a, it, it was a great church. And th- this is Acts chapter 8. It'll say uh, there's great persecution. Here's, you know, 7, of course, was Stephen. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. That's, of course, Saul or the apostle Paul was in agreement. And and at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So does anybody have any idea why the apostles were, 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 weren't persecuted at that time? Huh? You remember this? There's a guy named Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a, I, I, I don't know which chapter it is. Um, uh, I think it's, it's probably five. There it is. Here's, so the church is growing. 
And so these, these political religious leaders get together and say, we got to stop this church. So this very wise man, Gamaliel, said, look, don't you remember stuff that happened in our past? And, and it just fizzled out. He said, now, if these people aren't of God, it'll, it'll just go away. But he said, if they are of God, we got to be careful because we, we, we don't want to fight against God. And so it says that he, he commanded them, basically, you leave your hands off these apostles. So when you get to Acts chapter 8, basically they didn't at that time persecute the apostles, but everybody else was open season. <laughs> and so in Acts 8, this is, of course, when Philip went to Samaria. And uh, uh, I, you, you probably know this, but in the Old Testament, Assyria came and invaded parts of Israel, and the Jewish girls started marrying Assyrian soldiers. And that produced this hated subculture of people called Samaritans. The, the Orthodox Jews hated them because they considered them sellouts. And so, but if you go to Acts 1 and 8, it says, First, it's going to happen in Jerusalem, and then it's going to be the area around Jerusalem. Then it's going to Samaria, and then it's going everywhere else, to the uttermost part of the earth. Well, that's exactly what happened. From chapter 2 to chapter 7, it's Jerusalem and in the area, but in Acts chapter 8, it goes into the Samaritans. And then, of course, in Acts 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Roman soldier, centurion. So apparently he had a hundred men that were underneath of him. And uh, so the church is growing. And then you get to Acts 15. Acts 15 is an amazing chapter because it's the first fight in the New Testament church. And it's over racism. And these Jews are upset because all these people are coming into their church, their church. And they're not Jews. And so if you, like, like in verse number one, basically what they said was, okay, I'll let you come to my church, but you got to be circumcised. <laughs> now, I'm 63 years old. That's a deal breaker to me, okay? I'm not going to your church if that's what I got to do to get membership. And so uh, Peter stands up and he said, okay, I'm the culprit. I'm the guy that went down to Cornelius' house, so if you want to blame somebody, blame me. But then it says, James, this, this for years, I, I, I've never lost my fascination with these verses. In Acts 15 and 13, after they held their peace, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, James answered, said, listen to me, Simeon, or Simon Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles. So that's talking about Cornelius. And to take out of them people for his name. Watch. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doeth all these things. And so the, 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 when I read this, it, it, it just, it captured me because James said, we're having a harvest. 
But he said, the reason we're having this harvest is not just because of our doctrinal position. Now, this is a Pentecostal church, and Pentecostals are big on Acts 2.38. But you have to understand something. I've heard all my life, Acts 2.38 is the truth. Uh, Yes and no. Um, It is in the Bible, and I believe the word of God is true. But Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And so what you have to understand, the truth is not a doctrinal position. The truth is a person. And I know lots of people that are in love with their doctrine, but they're just flat out mean. You know, there's a scripture that says the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. In John, what, 4, God, 420, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So truth is right information. Spirit is right attitude. I, I got some preachers violently mad at me years ago when I said this, but I, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'd rather work with people who don't have great doctrine but have great attitudes than to work with people who've got all the doctrine figured out and they're just nasty. They got a bad attitude. Bad. I, I've met Pentecostals that act like seven mother-in-laws moved in with them last week. And it's just like, the, you're supposed to have joy of the Lord. And it's just, just flat out. I've seen people take the Bible and kill new converts. Bible said it'd be better if we took a rock, wrapped it around your neck, took you out in, in Lake St. Clair and dropped your carcass down in there than for you to offend one of these little ones. So, man, you always be patient with new converts. And it's just to be sweet and to be kind with them. And, 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 and so I, this is what James said. The reason the thing's growing is because we have rebuilt the tabernacle of David. And I was going, well, what in the world is that? Because, you know, I went to a seminary. I went to a Bible school. And, and I'd, I'd studied the tabernacle of Moses. And I'd studied, you know, the, the, the temple of Solomon. And then the temple, Herod's temple, you know, that's, that, that was there when Jesus was ministering. And I never heard anybody talk about the tabernacle of David. What is that? And so I knew it had to be in there. I looked, there were no books written. I remember I was in India and I met this guy named Graham Truscott. He just died a couple months ago. And, um, but he wrote this great book called The Power of His Presence. It was the first book that I ever found on this subject, the Tabernacle of David. But I'd been dealing with it for months and months and months and, and, and no one could give me any information. So... You go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David has become king. And the first thing he does is say, where's the box? Where's the magic box? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? And they go, hmm. I mean, this is because if you read the opening chapters of 1 Samuel, the preacher's kids... Hophni and Phinehas, I never liked that Hophni because it sounds real too close to me, like Hoffman, you know. But it's like these, these two preacher kids stole the ark, took it down to the, what's called the Valley of Ebenezer. And the Bible said they shouted until the ground shook. 
But the next day they lost. Had a lot of shout. But didn't have a relationship with the God of the box. And they lost the Ark of the Covenant. It went into Philistia for seven months. After seven months, all these people dying. There's this word called emeralds. If, if you know what preparation H is for, basically, you've got thousands of men dying from colon cancer. That's, it's a humiliating way to die. And, and, and um, so they go, maybe God's trying to talk to us. So they take the ark and they put it on a cart and it goes back. But it ends up in this guy's house by the name of Abinadab. It didn't go back to the Holy of Holies, which means that during the entire dynasty of Saul, there was no Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. So they had church without the glory, which is a terrible thing to try and do, but it, it can be done. You can have, you know. And, and so David becomes king and he goes, where's the box? And finally, someone said, we found it in Abinadab's garage. So they went and they put it on a cart and it hit a rut and, and David was trying to bring it back to Jerusalem, and it hit a rut, and, and it looked like the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall off the cart. And this, this boy named Uzzah, or Uzzah, however you pronounce it, Abinadab's boy, reaches up and touches the box. And when he does, God kills him. Wham! I mean, it's been in his garage for over 20 years, so who cares, you know? He didn't have any reference for that thing. And so... This guy's laying in the road, dead. And so these guys say, well, who's going to take the box? And all the Jews go, not me, man. I don't want nothing to do with that box. I mean, that kid's purple, frothing out of the side of his mouth, you know. <sighs> no, I don't want So this guy by the name of Obed-Edom says, put it in my house. Well, if you do your homework, Obed-Edom is a Gittite, which is a fancy word for Philistine. He's not a Jew. And it's in his house for three months, and the Bible says his whole house is blessed. So to me, you know, uh, his, his cows had, had, had twins, and, and corn had six ears on each stalk, and, and he never had to water his grass, and his car never got dirty, and he never had to take his suits to the dry cleaners. It was just, it was just good, man. And, 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 and so David, classic man, said, maybe we ought to read the instructions. So they go back and said, we're supposed to put these sticks through here, carry it on the shoulders of priests. And that's where we are in 2 Samuel 6. David is bringing the ark back to what's called the city of David. Now, people have said for years, the city of David is Jerusalem, but it isn't. It's very clear here. Zion is the city of David, not Jerusalem. They want a homework assignment, go through the Psalms and just find all of these references in the Psalms about Zion, you know, and uh, I don't want to get sidetracked with that because that, that's a wonderful, there's so many, there's hundreds of scriptures about that. And so David, here's Second Samuel 6, okay, and uh, um, verse 17 and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And there's all these verses here where he, he ordained 24 courses of musicians. 
It's, it's, it's around the clock. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a great study about all this is going on. And so, it, it, you know, there are companion texts in the Bible. And if you go to Chronicles chapter 15, 1 Chronicles 15, it'll tell you the same story. And in 1 Chronicles 15, this is, I'm sure Matthew's ahead of me. I love Matthew. He's, he's got anointed fingers, man. And uh, you got it, Matthew? There you So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. This is Chronicles 16, okay? So it gets really fascinating because where do we get the Bible for these instruments? And where do we get the Bible for what we call worship today? It's not in the New Testament. Most of it's in the Psalms. And there's five different authors of Psalms. People think David wrote them all. He he didn't. He wrote a lot of them. But David takes the ark and puts it in a tent. Now, if you know your Bible, there was the tabernacle of Moses, and it had an outer court, and then it had this tent that was in this court, had a holy place. You went through the veil, holy of holies. Only one guy ever got to see the ark once a year. High priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, could go through the veil, splash the blood on the, on the mercy seat. So, that's not what happens with David here. David doesn't hide it behind the veil. He puts it in a tent on Zion. And anybody that wants to can have access to it. And there's all this music and all this magnificent worship and praise. And so what is the tabernacle of David? It's not a tent on an Old Testament hill. The tabernacle of David is a form of worship that was instituted under the reign of David. David wrote the user manuals on how to worship God. And and, and so obviously, once Solomon became king, he builds this amazing church house. I have a theory. I'll just tell it to you right now. When, when Solomon built this church and he had this, he had a guy, now I won't remember his name. He was the general, Hiram is his name. He was the general contractor for Solomon's temple. And it's time to pay the bill for the builder that built the church house. Solomon gives him seven cities. But if you look in your Bible, it calls them waste cities. In the message, or yeah, the, the, um, uh, it, it says, Hiram looks at him and said, why did you give me these ghettos? And Hiram got mad because Solomon didn't pay the builder the bill for building this church. And so they've got this amazing church house and they gotta pay for it. So when Solomon is gone, he's got a boy named Rehoboam. And there's this other guy named Jeroboam and they're not the same. Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And he, the first thing he's gotta do when he becomes king, I gotta, am I gonna lower taxes or I'm gonna increase taxes? And the old men said, give the people a break. They've been paying massive taxes for years under your father. 
take, take it easy on him. But this is what Rehoboam said. My dad beat you with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. And that's when Israel divided. And 10 northern tribes of Israel, two southern tribes of Judah. Here's my theory. Is it possible that the reason Israel's 12 tribes split is because they built a church house that they couldn't afford to pay for? It's possible. And so um, Solomon puts the ark back into the Holy of Holies. And for years, nobody sees it anymore. And then Amos comes along 800 years later, and he said, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And when I do, the residue is going to come into the church. If you've ever been around Orthodox Jews and they talk about goyim, I'm not going to tell you what that means. It's really, really bad. That's the verse in Acts that talks about the residue, the left. That's you and me. We're the leftovers, okay? We're, we're, the, we're the dregs at the bottom of the glass. And so, obviously, when you get to Acts 15, James is saying, you want to know why we've got such a harvest? It's not just about our doctrinal position. We have restored the worship unto the Lord that David instituted back in the Old Testament. We've rebuilt David's tabernacle. And that, it's just like right now in this climate, you, you got two options. You're either going to worry or you're going to worship. It's really that simple, folks. And it's just, it, 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 you know, I, I had to deal with someone a couple of days ago, and they were just, wow, where they've been out of shape. And I said, let me ask you a simple question. Doesn't the word say your steps are ordered? Doesn't it say the steps of a righteous man are ordered? Doesn't it say our times are in his hands? Doesn't it say that? I said, so what's the problem? I said, we, he said, Paul one time said, if we live, we live unto him. If we die, whatever. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And it's just, how do, how do you stop people like that? You can't. And so right now, don't freak out with something stupid that's going on right now and just say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, we've had more visitors since March with this corona thing than we've had in probably the last two years. And it's just, you should see the emails that we had just this week of people that said, I'm so disappointed you're not having church. I intended to bring my family. I'll be there next week. And it's just, so uh, the, my friend, Arthur Hodges, who pastors in San Diego, if uh, he was on television this past week with CNN, they won their court case in California. And, um, and he said, listen, you're underestimating the, 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 the power and the value of a church. He said, you're, he said, what about depression? What about despair? He said, you are underestimating how much weight people are feeling in their spirit. And that's what we do. That's what a church offers. Amen. And a deal like, okay, if you don't want to come or you don't feel safe in coming, I get it. But there are others that want to come, you know? And, uh, and so uh, 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 it's, it's, 
all I'm saying to you is keep a good attitude. Keep a right spirit right now. That's what they renew in me a right spirit, a right one, not a wrong. You know what a wrong one is. I've been around, you know, just renew a right one inside of me, you know? And so here's, listen, listen to this verse again. This is Amos 9. I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And when I do, he said, the plowman is going to get ahead of the reaper. Do you you understand how backwards that is? Because see, first you plow, then you sow the seed, seed grows, then you have a harvest, then you got winter or whatever, and then you have the next growing season. But that's not what Amos sees going on. He said there is a place in the spirit where the plowman can actually get ahead of the reaper. And while you're reaping, he's already out in front of you plowing up new ground, sowing new seed for another harvest while you're reaping this one. You get that? Watch. So Matthew, now this is crude. Okay. That I, uh, uh, this is me and, and this is my little, give me, give me my first little illustration, Matthew. And uh, here's, here's my graph. Okay. Bottom is time, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. That's segments of time. It could be a couple weeks. It could be a couple months, okay? But that's just, there's there's time slots there. To the left, that side of the graph are results, okay? So this is what I think happens. In number A, nothing's going on. So what do we do? That's why I put P and F there. That's prayer and fasting. Start praying and fasting. And it doesn't happen right away. Remember what, remember it's in Acts 10 when it talks about Cornelius. It said his prayer and his giving has come up before me as a memorial. Now there are times you leave church today and you got a car in your lane and you might have time to say, Jesus. Okay. But there are other times I, I, I view it as laying a brick, okay? That every time you pray, you lay a brick. And you come back and you pray. Same prayer, same thing. Oh, God. And you lay it again and lay it again. And you build this memorial in prayer that God says, I got to do something for them people. And, 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 and so you start to pray and fast. And it doesn't happen right. Remember, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Sow to the flesh, corruption. Sow the spirit, life everlasting, okay? That's, that's the concept here. So you start praying and fasting, boom, and it spikes, and you start having something really good happen. Here's the problem, though, with most of us. We quit the intense praying. And so for a while, you coast on yesterday's prayer. So you don't throw an egg out in the barnyard and get a rooster. Takes a while. Same way in prayer. Ask. And in the Greek, it's, it's present progressive verbs. It's ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. All right? Persistence. Lest by her continual coming to me, she wearieth me. So you, you get something going good there. All of a sudden, it, do, it, it doesn't happen overnight. But after a while, it's going to run out of gas and kerplop. You're down there in sea again. Nothing's happening. So we got to get spiritual again. So you start praying and fasting, boom, you know, and it, that's how a lot of people live. 
just manic depressive, great highs, great lows. Now watch this. So here you are in A, nothing's going on. So you start to pray and fast. So when you get to the left of B, boom, stuff starts moving. So what do you do? Keep praying. Stay in the word. Why? Because this is what Amos was talking about. You can get in a place in the spirit to where while you're reaping in B, the plowman's already in C and D, creating another harvest for you to have. So you don't live on this roller coaster, but I, 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 I had to get ministerial license years ago in West Virginia. And there were some fellas there that they, they didn't like my family. And, um, and I'll never forget one of the old gentlemen sitting on the district board. He said, you know, the Bible says be instant in season and out of season. And I said, well, elder, I'm trying to be as respectful as I know how, but it doesn't read, it doesn't say that. And he said, of course it does. And I said, no, sir, it doesn't say it. This is what it says. It says, be instant in season, out of season. There's no and there. There's no conjunction. In other words, while everyone else is maples and oaks and, 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 and they're dropping their leaves, you're, you're like an evergreen. You don't ever go out of season. You're in season, out of season. Why? Because you're consistent. So I got this wonderful letter a couple days ago. Show him my letter, Matthew. This is from Kara Elkins. I think she meant to say, praise the Lord. But, you know, she did the best she could. She's, I think she's four. Look at that beautiful writing. She said, pray the Lord. Dear Pastor Hoffman, I just want you to keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and my response is, okay, then that's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Okay? You, you, you don't have to be IBM compatible. You know, I, I heard a guy, Kevin Roberts, years ago, who was this brilliant attorney, but he was a wonderful public speaker, and he said, if the safety pin would have been invented today, nobody would have wanted anything to do with it because it didn't have six moving parts and two motherboards. And it's just, don't complicate this. Don't write a check with consecration that you can't cash with daily living. Don't say, I'm going to memorize a chapter every week for the rest of it. No, you're not. Don't say, I'm going to pray three hours every day. No, you aren't. It would be better if you prayed 15 minutes a day consistently. Then do it in spurts and then quit for weeks. That's how a lot of people do. We only get, here, here. <laughs> I'm thinking of, here, here are these disciples. And all these guys are fishermen. So they, they, they've been out on this sea a lot of their life, and they can't row out of this storm. And they go down and say, let's wake up Jesus. And, he, and they say, don't you care that we're about to perish? And, and he, he had already said to them, he said, get in the boat, we're going over. 
If Jesus said we're going over, we're not going under. Okay? And, 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 but it's, it's time to get spiritual. When, when, when it, they've seen Jesus do all kinds of miracles, but it's a whole different world when it's your carcass fixing to hit the bottom of the sea. And, and, and we, we can dispense all kinds of faith words and blah, blah, blah. But when it's your family and when it's your marriage and when it's your job in crisis, what are you going to do? And that my, 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 my advice to you is in these inconsistent times, just stay consistent. Just keep doing what you know to do that's right. And we'll be all right and we'll come out of this. We'll come out of this, all right? Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. I I am just so grateful to be alive right now. I'm so grateful, God, to breathe breathing in your air and this, I don't understand all the physiology and all the technical stuff that's going in my body right now, but it is amazing that I can suck this air in and breathe the bad stuff out and you can put that good stuff in my blood and my mind can be clear and my body can function. And so I thank you, Lord, for your air in my lungs, for your sanity in my mind, for your strength in my limbs. And I'm asking you and making a covenant with you again with these sweet, precious people that have opted to be here with me today. We're going to serve you this week. We're going to please you this week. We're going to have a good attitude. We're going to have a sweet spirit. And we're going to do our best to be a witness and to be a billboard and a marquee that when everything that can shake is shaking, People are going to start looking for something that's solid. And we've got our feet on the rock. And we're so grateful for the foundation that we have in you. And I ask you, Lord, right now, guide, guard, go with these precious people as they go from this place right now. Lord, don't let church just be a place to come to. Let it be a place to go from. And as we go from this place today... Going to the restaurant, going to the grocery store, interacting with people around this community. I want to be a light and I want to be a vessel of honor. In Jesus' name we pray and call it done. Amen. Amen. Let's thank him together. Praise the Lord. <laughs> From the bottom.